It's Tuesday, May 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from Motley Fool One, Morgan Housel, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Mike Olson. Gentlemen, how's it going? Hello. Things are well. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear things are well with you. Yeah. It's, it's always nice to see a, a smiling Mike Olson in my life. It, it feels great. <laughs> it, does. it does. Everyone's happy. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot going on today in the world of earnings. Maybe not everybody is hap- happy as we look across the board here. Uh, and we start with Credit Suisse. Um, in an announcement on Monday, Credit Suisse pleaded guilty to conspiring to aid tax evasion. That's a new one for a big bank. In fact, isn't this the first time a big bank has admitted guilt to, I don't know, anything since about the 90s? Yeah, big corporations get to do something that people can't, which is pay a fine that, that is the equivalent of about 30 cents for them, uh, and, then, and, then admit, and then neither admit uh, or deny wrongdoing. That's how it normally works. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just pay a minuscule fine, and then everyone is happy, and everyone goes away. But they actually forced Credit Suisse to plead guilty in this case, which is extremely rare. What does that do, though? I mean, it's some, so pretty interesting. Shares were up about one percent this morning. The hmm. CEO made a statement and said this will have no material impact on business. <laughs> it's so, a two point six really, billion dollar fine. Really, no really sticking it to them. Though. Yeah. I mean, there's real, there's when there's no material impact on what on what happens to your business. It's funny when when Eric Holder came out, started talking about this a couple of weeks ago. He had this punchline of no no you know this proves that no bank is too big to jail uh, and people started saying well who's going to jail uh-oh. well nobody <laughs> so he came out this morning and said this pro- this proves no ba- no bank is too big to charge uh, <laughs> but the yeah. charge doesn't do anything to them yeah i mean it's it's really amazing when you look at this so their shareholders equity is 49 billion that's kind of the loose measure of their net worth the fine was 2.6 billion and so i mean to your point, this is basically five cents on the dollar. I mean, it's obviously a five percent thing to the company's net worth, but you also have to consider most of these fines are paid over like a ten-year period or something like that. Because for all of the the, the government's you know hard-nosed talk or whatever you will, they don't want to put these banks out of business. You know, the bigger question might be. Are their customers going to leave them because they don't like the idea of there being this sort of blemish on Credit Suisse? Mm. Um, I mean, it, it's. It's hard to say, but I think that we can say with reasonable confidence there's not a single big bank that has not emerged with a black eye from the credit crisis. You know, the the only distinction, and it's it's largely superficial when you consider it here, is whether or not they were forced to plead guilty to criminal charges. Mm-hmm. You know, in the eyes of the public, many of these things are criminal. Many of the things that were done were criminal anyway. So, you know, I, I don't really see this affecting their business either. I don't know how much the private bank, you know, what sort of cash cow that was and what they're losing out of that. And maybe that will be of impact. You know, that that's something that remains to be seen. I don't really think that if you like these the, the shares of this company, this changes your opinion, really. But guys, it's a symbolic victory, right? The little guys are taking down the big guys once again. Ha, those Goliaths, us yeah. Davids. No? Uh, Not so much? I, I, don't, I don't think it's really going to do anything. I mean, uh, you remember... In 2010, Goldman Sachs was charged, not criminally, but, uh, but civil penalties. And a lot of people said, you know, what's this going to do to Goldman's reputation? Are clients going to leave? Are other banks not going to want to do business? With? No, it fizzled out. It was, it, was, it, was, it was in the headlines for about eight hours, and then people forgot about it. Right. right? Yeah, and that, that, that was another thing where exactly you could have argued the reputational impact was huge to them because what, what the allegation was was that they misled some of their customers surrounding what was in a mortgage-backed security, the actual composition of the security, where they knew it was pretty bad. Um, and yet, I, I don't think that we could 
we can say with any degree of confidence that that has affected Goldman. <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, so much for the big banks. Uh, let's move on to retail. We have a grab bag of retail earnings today. Um, we're going to start with let's start with Home Depot. Home Depot is up today despite missing expectations. Sales are up, but didn't hit expectations. Um, sales at U.S. stores open at least a year, increased three percent. That's pretty nice. Uh, why? Why are people still positive about Home Depot today despite the misses? You know, I think this is one where the the weather excuse actually sticks because huh. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I don't own a house, and my am I very happy to be one of those people. Um, but if I were the owner of a house and I were contemplating home improvements, I would not do it while the weather sucks. Right. Um, you know, and I guess if you if you really look at the the quarterly result, it's still pretty solid. Mm. Uh, operating income. Grew nine percent, and that's sort of operating leverage at work. When you operate a storefront that's basically a warehouse, any sort of increment, incremental gain to sales is huge. Uh, average ticket at customers increases, increased the number of transactions, increased. They boosted. The, they also, I mean, two things that are significant in this, and this shows that this is not sort of a structural weakness issue, at least for them. They said that their early May sales had been very robust. I think they used that. Uh, that were twice during the conference call. And they maintained their EPS outlook. They actually boosted it. It looks like a good part of that boost was due to share repurchases. Hmm. And I'm not sure that share repurchases are necessarily the best use of capital. I mean, what, one thing that's perhaps more amazing than anything, and this has been sort of this has been accompanied by turnaround, is the extent of the run that Home Depot shares have seen from the nadir of the credit crisis. I think right. they were down to maybe. and now this is an $80 stock. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that being said, I I still have sort of a hard time being interested in one of the world's largest retailers. You know, their their data, I I get that there's still an ongoing recovery in home-related spending, and it should push push sales higher. If you believe what they say, shares are undervalued, but, you know, I think it's 17, 18 times earnings right now. I, I have a very hard time being really enthused about one of the largest retailers at that price. Well, I was talking to Chris Hill uh, before the show, and he was enthusiastic about Home Depot's uh, customer service. You know, you go there, the orange aprons swarm you, and they're very helpful. It's one of those It's one of those businesses where it feels like customer service is a hugely important part of it, whereas a lot of other uh, retailers these days are turning towards e-commerce to try to boost their bottom lines. Home, uh, Are you... Are you buying into Home Depot with that old-fashioned, old-timey customer service, uh, you need our help and you're going to come to us for it, or, are, or is that just too old-fashioned? So, you know, I think, I think that this one is somewhat interesting in that the extent of the disruption mm-hmm. from e-commerce for a, a home goods or, you know, home improvement retailer is going to be incrementally less just because some of the purchases you make right here, either A, you want to go ahead and see it in the flesh, or B, there's sort of a, a need-to-have element where it's just like a pipe breaks or something like that. Hmm. Something ceases to work, your toilet isn't functioning. And you go ahead and you pick up a piece to make that work because you need to make it work. And moreover, you know, as you say, this was a big knock on Home Depot back in the credit crisis days and right before Frank Blake, uh, the current CEO, started, which is that their associates were kind of just like – I mean they were more or less dead on arrival. You would walk in there and there would just be nobody there. Nobody could help you. And for the average individual, um, our education and time is not spent in improving the home. And so anything you can do, like you say, to improve the customer experience is great. I think that 
you know, Home Depot, the, the sort of enduring qualities of it as a retailer certainly are there. It benefits from, you know, having enormous scale, uh, wicked efficient supply chain. And there, there are reinforcement loops in that in terms of low cost, selection, attracting people, and having sort of a known quantity. Um, you know, that being said, I just – I so, you know, I don't think it's going anywhere, but I, I don't really – find it particularly exciting at these mm. prices. That's not, I mean, that's the only thing. I think it's great business. All right. Moving right along, uh, Michael, you, you mentioned the harsh winter weather, as have a lot of retailers out there. But if there was one retailer out there I would have thought could survive a harsh winter, it's the one selling skis and snow boots. But Dick's Sporting Goods had a long, hard cu- uh, quarter. Uh, things did not look great there, especially in hunting and golfing. Who knew hunting and golfing uh, sales would fall in a tough winter? Uh, guys, what are our thoughts on Dick's? Yeah, well, last quarter is kind of funny because... I remember we sat in this room and they did 7% comps and 8% EPS. So sort of said this is amazing, the, the sort of enduring qualities of the growth story mm. at this business. But we also I also asked the question, you know, they have this focus on high-end wares and they have a lot of exclusive merchandise and, you know, they have a nice in-store experience. But you also have to ask whether or not this is a structural advantage, you mm. know, and that they can continue to attract that, that sort of customer traffic. Part of this miss was just due to hunting and everything because – People decided they were going to go ahead and stock up on guns. Um, and, uh, you know, that part I get. Um, the other part is related to golf. And some of this might have been the weather or something. And, you know, it was unusually cold. And so people don't have their golf caps on yet or something like that. Do people wear golf caps still? Uh, I think, I'm yeah. not much of a golfer. Uh, I don't know these I, things. You know, I don't know either. I mean, basically, Mike does. No. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't golf. I'm horrible at golf. I'm the guy who rides <laughs> It's really weird when he walks still, around he still wears the office. It. It's yeah. weird. We can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. But, you know, the, so then, you know, Cut to this quarter, comps are up 1.5% and earnings per share up 4%. Uh, and so it's I, – I don't deny that they might have some sort of very, very small structural advantage. But it's hard to go ahead and peg why or how one of these retailers can be enduringly successful. I mean I think if there's one that's most likely to be, it might be them. They, they certainly have a lot of room to build out their store footprint. But I just – I mean, these are the types of things where if you ask yourself five years from now what this business is going to look like and you want to just try and ascertain that with any degree of certainty, um, comparing two retailers here, Home Depot versus Dick's, I certainly can say with much greater confidence I have an idea what Home Depot is going to look like in five years with respect to its cash flow. Dicks, I I just don't necessarily know. Right, and Dicks doesn't like how they're going to look in this next uh, next year. They lowered their uh, guidance. Uh, Morgan, can Dicks rise again? Well, sure. I, I I think what's really important when we're talking about these stories too is that if anyone is basing their investment thesis around the weather, whether you know. If, if the weather hurt first quarter sales or it's going to affect future sales, if that's what your investment thesis is based off of, I think that's a terrible, flawed strategy. Hmm. And, you know, you know there, there's, there's, going to be, there's going to be quarterly ups and downs and seasonal ups and downs. But I, I think if you're investing in any of these companies, it should be a, a much longer-term outlook. So I, I always get kind of disenchanted when I hear investors talking about, well, should you sell because of the bad weather or did you know, the weather affect earnings by one or two pennies? I think it's, 
it's all kind of silly. All right. Hey, speaking of silly, let's talk fashion. You guys hate fashion. It's always fun. We're actually we're both wearing burlap sacks right now. Yeah, you it's can't, you can't pretty cool. And but... and Mike's got his golf cap on. Right. It's kind of it's kind of weird. That's it's... his only nod to fashion. Well, I'm bald. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, looking around the fashion landscape these days, Urban Outfitters uh, reported today shares declined 3.5 percent at the open. They're down a little bit more today. Um, bad volume, bad sales. Bad quarter. Are we surprised by this? Urban Urban has always struck me as one of the stronger retailers out there. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that's pretty interesting about Urban, they were sort of on the bleeding edge of, of really getting e-commerce right, where, the, you know, they have these targeted emails. They've married the storefront to the e-commerce platform. They're able to be very efficient with respect to moving inventory and responding to customer trends. And so then when you see this this sort of mixed bag quarter where Free People and Anthropology, their two other franchises, continue to do very well, mm. and Urban, the core business, continues to do poorly, you sort of ask yourself why and how they aren't using this data more effectively. Now, maybe this is just sort of, you know, this is a carryover because last quarter they also had, you know, similar problems. I think all three of us sat in this room and we're talking about the same thing where sales were off and, you know, I mean, it, it's just the teen retailing business. We've spoken about this ad nauseum. It's just so hard. I mean, I, I was thinking about this. Chris Hill and I were talking earlier. Um, and, you know, you have a few very successful teen retailers who are always sort of continuously in the dialogue um, surrounding it. But if, if you take a longer term view, I mean, it's hard to say that, you know, you could pinpoint one teen retailer that is continuously stayed at the top. And mm. so if you're somebody who who would like to refer to yourself in, as an investor, um, <laughs> I, I don't know how you construct a meaningful investment thesis around any of them because, you know, the, the tie goes in and the tie goes out. That's just the way it goes. You don't, you don't hang out at a, at a mall and count the people who walk into a Urban Outfitters or a Hot Topic. <laughs> you guys ever been to a Hot Topic, by the way? Morgan, you seem like a Hot Topic kind of guy. I have, I'm not a Hot Topic no? guy. I have, I, I have been in, I think, maybe for entertainment purposes. I, you know, I think maybe in high school I wanted to right. one of those. Yeah, it was here. a while ago. Nice. Mm-hmm. Is that where you guys got the burlap sacks? Right. They look yes, good. they're from Hot Topic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Last but certainly not least, let's take a look at Staples. Uh, it had its, what is this, its fifth straight decline, or uh, <laughs> fifth straight fall in quarterly sales. Um, not a great quarter for a company that sells office supplies. But hey, you can get office supplies just about anywhere. Is there anything that differentiates yeah, staples I, these days? It's tough to differentiate yourself, especially when you have competitors that mm-hmm. are, you know, they're just going to push margins down to zero. And you, and at that point, you're just in a game for basically survival. Right. I mean, it's, it's I mean, we're talking about tough businesses, but this is a nearly impossible business. Right. right. I mean, I, I guess you just have to ask yourself, why is I mean, A, you have declining consumption in some of their core goods, which is like printer, toner, paper, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have just vicious competition from the big box retailers and e-commerce players. Um, and you know they simply don't have the scale or the price advantages to compete with these folks. And it, it was really funny if you wanted to – perhaps the most telling bit about this press release. We were talking, I think it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, about how they were closing stores. And I said they can't close stores quickly enough. <laughs> um, you actually had to look. Most retailers will put front and center, this is our comparable or same store sales number. And that shows you know what s- sales were um, – you know, at stores that were open for more than one year on a year-over-year basis. And it was actually buried 
in the press mm. release. Like I had to look for it to see that it was off negative four percent. Now, if there's one bright spot in this, it is that sales at Staples.com grew six percent, but. Then you read a little bit lower and you see that operating income is off 36%. And that's sort of the rub. When you operate a retail storefront, sales decline, you have pricing pressure and lower product margins, that stings pretty bad. You know, this company still does great cash flow. I'm not going to take that away from them. But I mean, what the expiration date on those cash flows are, I won't pretend to have great insights. So I don't know why I would want to invest in this company. On that happy, sunshine-filled note, Morgan Housel, <laughs> Michael Olson, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by the underrated producer, Gail Enanuevo. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.